0: Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, that's right, excuse me, pardon me, Uh uh-uh, sounds like I need some help, but it's not that kind of help, people, it's mental health help. If you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and you're like, I don't know what that even is, you know, it's like that tightness in your throat or maybe in your chest, or I know for me, I get that stress stomach ache, if you ever had one of those then you might want to go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo today, right now. And I know you're like, I tried to call a therapist, nobody's available. Listen, betterhelp.com forward slash Leo promises you that in the next 48 hours, they'll link you with a therapist, no matter where you are in the world. So if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, and you want to find that place of serenity and calm and peace, Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo, and with that, you'll enjoy 10% off your first month. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Lang Parker, who is a comedian, actress. We talk about so many things. She and I have known each other forever. And I find out so many things I didn't know about her because I oh, always see her posting photos of her with celebrity actors and actresses, and she's always on set, and uh, just seems to have her whole life together. And uh, we really get to peel back the onion here, where I find out she's been adopted and grew up in an alcoholic household, and uh, you know, struggling to connect with her siblings. And oh man, it gets beautiful. And then we also talk about the genius of The Breakfast Club. If you haven't seen that movie, go check it out. With that said, let's jump into the episode. I have a cool fucking life.
1: (laughs) I just, I have to learn how to be happy with it because I'd still get fucking depressed and freaked out. I'm like, where's the next dollar coming from? But my friend owns an Airbnb and it's up in Topanga and I clean it for her. And then right now a shoot is going on. The, The area is just spectacular. It's beautiful.
0: And, and it has to be like a, a mixed bag where like you're in this beautiful home, beautiful area, and you're like, but I'm going to have to leave.
1: Right? And go back to my six by seven room. No joke. It is the smallest ever possible. It's just a place to sleep, shit, and take a shower. That's it.
0: The, uh, the, the Spartan life right there.
1: Yeah. I mean because look I don't bring dudes back to my place and I don't have dinner parties so what's the point of having so I I do wish it was a hair larger just just a hair but oh well I don't pay that much but I'm still looking for a different place because eventually I want to get a dog because I know I need a dog in my life it's it's obvious but I just can't get a dog you know some people they have a dog and it it's not even dead for 24 hours the body's not cold and they already got a new one and I'm like I have to mourn so I took you know I've it's been three four year three years now but and also I just I have to have a decent place to live I'm not just going to have a dog to have a dog I I gotta have I gotta be fair to that dog and it has to have a little yard or something
0: yeah, I always feel bad when I see people who have dogs like these massive dogs in these small spaces, and then or
1: that don't walk them. Um, it's yeah. Uh,
0: so you said a dog passed away three, four years ago, huh?
1: My did, yeah.
0: Yeah, how, how now? What was your grieving process like? Did you?
1: Oh, it's so awful. I just I miss him so much. He was the best companion, went through my father's death and helped me through it that I could just his presence. I swear I'm not a quack. Some people probably think so. But I'm telling you, man, that dog was human. He just he would be with me when I was depressed and just hang out. But he also was extremely independent and he he was like a boyfriend seriously without any relations if you know what I'm saying but he was like a boyfriend he ignored me but then pay attention to me at certain times when needed <laughs> um the grieving process was just trying to you're supposed to ever I always hear this from people of you're supposed to remember that he was in your life for the You know, you needed him and the reasons and be happy that he was in your life. And I'm still wrapping my head around that. I'm still hooked on the loss of him because there's no more. Same thing with my father. You know, it's like there will never be conversations with him ever, ever again. And that kills me because he he's he was funny to talk to. He had a great personality. But there will be no more, you know, for instance, I'd call him and tell him something that happened during the day. And he goes, don't be a goddamn dummy. You know, and it was in terms of endearment. Trust me, it sounds abusive, but it wasn't. And um, I just, I miss those because I would laugh and I go, yeah, you're right. Don't be a dummy. Why am I, why am I getting upset about this or that? You know, and I, I miss that, that I will never have that. And that's why the month or two months that Uh, I was going back to see him every weekend in Wisconsin. I would film him privately. I would put the, because he did not want to be videoed. He was weird that way. I don't know why he didn't believe in technology, but he loved technology, but he wasn't near it or wanted to interfere or figure it out. He, He didn't own a computer or nothing, but I would record him because I knew he didn't want to, but I wanted to capture him So I could see him and I could watch videos of him and he would talk about it. I'd ask him certain questions. So then he would have to give me long answers. And plus I wanted to remember, and you know how history happens. You only remember certain things or leave out important parts. And I wanted to document it going, look, it's on tape. It's, he said this.
0: Is there a specific question that you were kind of surprised by the answer that really stuck with you?
2: Yeah, just his life. I
1: mean, and I know you know he was born in 1920. No, thirty-something doesn't matter. He but he lived through the Great Depression, and and he uh, his father died in the war, and um, he had to become the man when he was 12 years old of the farm, and he has a little sister with him who's still alive. Her name is Aunt Darlene. Love her. We still write letters back and forth. She handwrites this inc- She's 90 and she handwriting is just beautiful. I type so I can get more information out faster because I don't have time to, you know, handwrite. And plus mine's like chicken scratch because we never write now, you know. It's all fast computer typing. And um, he had to be the man of the house. So he just he didn't have a childhood. 12 years old. Go ahead. You plow the fields, milk the cows, get shit done. And he also, it's it just his life. There's so many milestones and things that had happened to him that a person that would happen now would be dead. For instance, a quick story. He was driving, I think he was in his 20s, driving home in Wisconsin. There, it was snowing at the time. It was winter. And he lost control of the car. And he hit a line of mailboxes. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. But when you live in a subdivision, sometimes there's a big two by four long and then there's mailboxes stacked on it, just all lined up. So the mail person could just quick, you know, deliver to that section. He hit that. The two by four went through the windshield, hit him here in the face right uh, above the eye socket, ripped his whole flap of his eye off. So he remembers, and I have it on uh, I recorded him telling the story and he was laying on the ground and people came around and was like staring down at him. And he said, he remembers being in and out of consciousness and people looking down and he's like, oh, he ain't going to make it. Could you imagine that? You know, he nah, he ain't going to make it, but you know, call, call the ambulance. Ambulance comes, goes to the hospital. So what they ended up doing. And I thought this was genius back in the time. So this was maybe 40s, 50s, I, I, I don't know the time exactly, but he, in the hospital, what they did is they took the crease behind his ear, removed it, and laid that in to his eye socket so that he could have the skin back where it creases, and, the, and he was talking about how the doctor would sit there and place it on there, and then know it need to be trimmed, so he'd trim it more, place it back on there, I should send you the video. It's fascinating. And he, you know, they laid it on there and then stitched up and he's like, I was good. But he says, no, 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 that was my dad. He's not, he does not make mohills into mountains at all. That was a mountain to me, but he just so nonchalantly just, yeah. You know, took the skin behind my ear and put it on there. And that was it. I was good. (laughs) Crazy.
0: I would imagine when you have a father like that, who's so tough and seems so resilient and unflappable that then any complaint that you have about your life, you kind of dismiss or invalidate, right? It, like it, it's nothing compared to having a two by four go through my eye and people think I'm going to yeah. die and then losing my dad at 12. So it's like, well, I have no right to complain about anything and I just got to suck it up.
1: Yes. I worked with my father too a couple of summers, and he was in the sewer and water business. And uh, I would wheel barrels of stone, and I would you know, you know, lay lay the pipe. Sometimes cut the pipe and help my father. And and I needed the money. And and you just you would complain. You you sucked it up and you worked hard and. Yeah, that's where I'm kind of like that. I'm an asshole when it comes to emotions. Even though I'm emotional, I'm a little harder on my friends going, hey, suck it up. Come on, let's go. You know, I have a friend that's having a hard time with the job. And I'm like, come on, get out there. Let's go. Quit. It's not time to quit. I don't care if you're in your 50s. Get out there and let's do this. But I understand there's, there's ebb and flow. And then you should not ebb and flow, but you should give and take and sometimes I suck at that because my father's voice in the back of my head going, get out there. Let's go. But I, my career, I just, I'm like, I'm so over it and just kind of like, ah, but I have them on my shoulder going, come on, go. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I got a few people to piss off yet saying that I'm not going to amount to anything. Uh, Yeah.
0: So that's the, 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 I hear the tapping Lang, if we could not tap on the, on the patients. Yep. Yep. Um, Now, so the message from your dad is, you know, come on, let's go suck it up, get back out there. How did that compare to the message from your mom growing up? In terms Mm -hmm. of facing adversity and challenges and.
1: She was. In the first 10 years of my life, she was great. She was a mom, but she also was an enabler. Um, not an enabler, but just always doing what a housewife should do at that time. made am to be careful how I word things nowadays, otherwise people freak out. But at the time, it was like, you be a good wife. You, you, know, you do your duties, and you clean, and you cook, and you make sure the house is tidy, and but she also was a, an incredible woman where she was always striving out. She got into Amway and she uh, and eventually started her own business of uh, uh, opening up a bar, tavern. And that was the beginning of the end, actually. But later on in life, we ended up learning that she was uh, had schizophrenia and issues I don't want to say mental problems that's not the correct word but she had serious problems I think there was also some abuse that happened to her when she was a child but I can't confirm that and I yeah I can't confirm that but I assume and what was the question again oh her Uh, so I would see her be the good housewife and I didn't know this until later on as a, an adult going, Oh, you are a little bit above your time. You were trying to get things going and moving and, and, and having a business for yourself. And she would sell jewelry. And, and she, I don't even remember there was a a friend of the family. Her daughter was beautiful and she came over and she put the jewelry on her hands and she modeled and they took pictures to kind of get more uh, publicity or advertisement. And I'm like, looking back on that, that was way jumps, leaps and bounds of people weren't, they were doing it, but not in Muskego, Wisconsin. You know, I mean, it was huge looking back as an adult, as a kid, I was just like, yeah, mom's everywhere doing whatever, but she also ended up turning into a raging alcoholic at the age of 10. And that wasn't fun. And then my mom and dad divorced and I'd be bounced back and forth between my mom and dad. Now, when I say mom and dad, I'm also adopted. They are my mom and dad when I say that. And then birth mom is someone different, but mom and dad they were married and then they ended up divorcing at 10 years old, when I was 10 years old.
0: You talked about your mom being an alcoholic, your adopted mom being an alcoholic. Uh, was that when she was 10, she started drinking? And when you were 10, she started drinking?
1: When I was 10, because she ended up opening up a bar and that kind of fed it. It fueled the um, disease, whatever you want to call it. I have problems with that whole analytical, whatever you want to call it, AA, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, well, now we can definitely uh, dig into that a little bit. Well, one is, how did you see her behavior change with the alcohol?
1: Either it was... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde either she loved me or she hated me and then coming home from school I you know kind of peer in the window and or the door and go who's who is it today do you like me or do you don't like me and it was yeah it wasn't in between it was either too much it was like back off I'm done with the hugging and the kissing or it was you know it was awful
2: definitely abuse
0: and uh, it sounds like your mom went through AA, it sounds no. like? No, no, she didn't. She okay. did I went to Al-Anon.
1: I, I ended up, back then, I, because I was a kid, I went to the school counselor and was talking to him. And there was nothing back then about Al-Anon, or maybe I was too young that they could introduce me to it. And plus, how would I go to it at, you know, a very young age? But I went to a school counselor, and he... Helped me. I don't remember specifics because it was so long ago, but I remember I would talk to him about it. I think maybe he did give me pamphlets. I remember getting pamphlets about drinking. And then what I did is I placed them on the coffee table. And when she saw them, she flipped out. I don't have a problem. And where'd you get this from? And I even think she called the school. Just so then I was shamed into trying to better myself or understand what was going on. S- yeah, so screwed up. <laughs> this is what now I'm thinking about it because I haven't really, you, you're bringing up subjects that I haven't talked about or, well, or, I have talked about, but I haven't thought about them in years. Wow. Okay, go ahead. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, but, but I would imagine, you know, you're 10 years old and you see your mom become, you know, Dr. Jekyll or, or you know, Mrs. Hyde. And, and now yeah. I would imagine you're walking on eggshells, right? Yes. Because on, on, the, on the other side is you have your dad saying, you know, suck it up and push through and uh, no yeah. whining, get back to work. So you're kind of stuck. I would imagine you didn't even talk to your dad about. How mom had changed or did you was there a conversation
1: he knew he knew that you know she was drinking because what I would do is when it get too crazy at one I would go to the other house and I'd go back and forth and some people are like oh you were playing wherever and this makes me laugh you were trying to see which was better or get the better deal if a one parent said no you'd go over to the other one to get to get the answer of yes and that wasn't the case it was so abusive in my mom's house. And I'm like, I, I can't, we, you know, she picked me up at school. We stop off at a bar and get, and she would get shit faced, And I just like sit there going, I got, I want to get out of here. And I go outside and sneak to a payphone. You know what those are? Uh, and I, you know, call my dad and go, dad, can you come pick me up? Oh, I can't. I'm working or just stay there. You'll go home soon. And I'm like, I didn't know what to do. So I would sit there and go back and forth. And then on my dad's side, there was abuse also, because he was going out with, ended up being his second wife, he ended up going on to a third marriage, but the second girlfriend and then into a, a wife, she was abusive, she was an alcoholic, and raging alcoholic, and not a kind woman whatsoever, to the point of like, pounding on my door at three o'clock in the morning, calling me every name in the book, and I didn't, I, I didn't do anything, what are you talking about? Because she was, she didn't want to have me around at all because that would take away from her children.
0: So you're, you're growing up in a household where mom all of a sudden opens up a bar, starts excessively drinking, becomes an alcoholic. And your dad is now, I would assume, in part taking up an affair in response to losing his wife to alcohol. Yeah, right. I think you rushed in,
1: he rushed into that relationship way too soon. When you have people around town telling you, don't go out with her. They even gave her a nickname. uh, and you yeah, you and it would like take the hit, dude. Take the hit, don't go out with her. And then he ended up marrying her. But it was only for three years. (laughs) Yeah. But he still went out with her.
0: So you're, you're walking on eggshells. There's shame uh, around seeking help. You try Al-Anon. Did you try anything else as a kid? Did you talk to your teachers? Uh, did you have any other, did you have friends talk- who might be yep. experiencing this?
1: Didn't go to Al-Anon because I was too young and it was, how would I get there? But I did talk to the school counselor at school. And then I talked to my best friend who knows my life very well and alcoholism. It runs in her family, my family. Yeah, it just it's not a it's not a pretty uh disease.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, there's a lot of hiding, a lot of a lot of yelling, breaking things, uh money unaccounted for, Oh, I yeah. assume. Yep. Um, erratic behavior.
1: Yep. And having, I'm not gonna say, you know. Uh, what is it? sd Whatever. M O U S E. What is it? It's PTSD. Thank you. It's not that, but there's part of it. When I see some people, I, okay, I went to uh, uh, the theater and I saw Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf with uh, Felista clock Flockhart. Whatever. I don't remember her name, but anyway, I'm awful with names. Jeez, I have to have another cup of coffee. Shh. But it was just recent. It was at the Geffen Theater and. I, my stomach was just in knots, and I'm like, "All right, already. I, I can't I can't stand the drinking. It just it it was awful. Yes, the, yeah. Elizabeth Taylor, and I can't even watch that either, because it was so gut wrenching and reminds me of the 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 craziness and the instability and oh, that's yeah. You'll never see me at a bar drinking and having a great time. I tell you that much. <laughs> But I just, that just, I can't be around that too much or watch Who's Afraid of Virginia (laughs) Wolf. I can't can't do it. I I actually, I hate to say this, but I ended up leaving. Not because of the performances. The performances were amazing. I just couldn't handle it. My gut was killing me.
0: Is that where you typically store your emotions in your gut? Like when you feel discomfort, unsettled?
1: Yes. That and and my chest.
0: Um, what, what emotions do you store in your chest versus your gut? Does that question make sense? Like, yes,
1: sadness in the chest. And, and it also goes up in my throat because I can't uh, swallow correctly when I get overcome with emotion, especially if I think about my dog, it all goes to the throat. It's very strange since you said that, but I've been. Making mental notes of it, going, Why? It's everything. Well, he did end up having a tumor in his throat. So maybe that's why. I don't know. And that's how he ended up dying of cancer in the throat. But anyway, I, I just store it here sadness. And then when I'm anxious and it's anxious, is all in the stomach.
0: Yeah. And how do you soothe with that? Because I know for me, I feel sadness behind my eyes. I feel it more in my face um, and, and I feel overwhelmed in my chest. I feel stress in my stomach. And then I have different strategies for each one of those. How do you move that energy?
1: By hiking, going outside, being in nature, away from people, hug a tree. You know, just, just being, no, seriously, just being out with energy outside and not inside, even though sometimes I end up going through depression and just staying inside the apartment and pulling the shades down low. And that's not to get romantic either, but yeah, being outside that's, that's what ended up helping me through the pandemic. I would, I ended up going hiking in the middle of nowhere. Oh, there's a hummingbird. Fabulous. Um, I, my friend owns an Airbnb and what I would do is help her while she wasn't running it because it was, everything was shut down, but I, she has these trails and I hiked every day. Otherwise I, and, and I figured, look, if the pandemic, and this is way in the beginning, beginning, uh, and they were saying, you got to stay home. And I'm like, look, if, we're if we have to wear a mask outside, wind blowing, in the middle of nowhere, trail, you can see to the ocean, to the mountains. If this thing is as bad as they say it is, we're all going to die. So the mask outside is. So I just went outside and I everywhere inside. Yes, I wore a mask and I still do because it's coming around again, people. Yeah.
0: So earlier you talked about being adopted and and I know that, you know, we. Talk before for the listeners uh Lang and I recorded a podcast which I thought was recording and, and it didn't save so Lang has been a peach in uh re-recording with me and so uh but you talked about being adopted and at what point did you meet with your birth mom and how'd you even find out I remember that was an interesting story about even finding out that you were adopted from a friend
1: I was brought up knowing I was adopted, but then I, I said as a kid, you know, what does that mean? And that means that, you know, you're special. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Not knowing what that meant. It was like, I'm special. Okay. I'm special. That was it. And I remember my friend my best friend who's still two, we're five days apart in birth and we're still friends. We talk every day, just got off the phone before doing this. And, um, we were on the phone, on the, on the bus going to school. I was around eight or nine in that age bracket. And she says, you know, uh, I overheard my mom talking to your mom and your mom is really not your mom. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you're adopted. I go, yeah, I know I'm special. She goes, do you know what that, do you know what it means? I go, well, yeah, I'm special. She goes, no, you, you have a different mom. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, yeah, mom had you and gave you up. And then this one took care of you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? She goes, yeah. God, you know, I'm at school. I'm like, wow. And I started to fantasize. Like Dolly Parton was my mom or someone famous. Uh, had no clue. Came home, said, hey, mom, guess what? I have a different mom. Flipped out. I mean, that was like the, I mean, as looking back, that was her go to. Just never have a decent conversation. It was always here or here, just, you know, ah, and I'm like, and just flipped out. You're my kid, and that's it. And I knew as a kid, oh, I got to talk about this later. I can't talk about it now. I'll have to talk about it when I'm an adult. And then shoved that all down and repressed, you know, suppressed it and didn't talk about it. I did bring it up with my father. I don't know if it was right after that. I don't know the timeline because, you know, you tend to bury feelings and things that happen in your life. <laughs> but I remember talking to him and I said, mom, Dad, what what is adopted? What what, what ha- Do you know anything about this? And he's like, yeah. He's like, your mom. always wanted a little girl she had three boys of her own because I have three older brothers she had three boys always wanted a little girl would take care of foster kids and foster them until they got adopted it became hard on her to do that and she put the word into the foster people that she works with said hey if I can get a little girl for my own that would be great and she worked the system and she ended up they, they, she told me this, the adoption agency called her and they said, Hey, we got a little girl that just came in. And just so you know, and she would be up for adoption. She has a little colic. I don't believe they said this, but this is what she said. They said she has a little colic in her hair that her hair does a little flippy thing in the middle. But, you know, other than that, you know, it's a little girl, she's healthy. And my mom was like, I, "I don't care if her whole head was a colic or whatever you're talking about. Of course, I want to adopt her." And that's where she was all in, man. She was a lover and a caretaker and cared about family. And she, she ended up adopting me, and I was a couple weeks old. And um, and there I was, boom. I uh, you know that's that's so. That's what my father. So my father said that, and. He's like, then um, we, we got the papers of who your mother was, but they don't give the name of the person. All He goes, all I know is when we were talking with the adoption agency is that she was young when she had you, and that was it. And her last name is something in the Polish descent. It was a last name. And um, that was it. That's all I knew. And he goes, you're going to have to wait until later. So then I waited till I was 18, I think. And I went to the adoption, I uh, wrote to the adoption agency and I said, hey, I'm looking for my birth mom. Well, you have to be, we can send you information what we have, but we can't give you the name. So they sent me that to see if there was any medical issues that I should know about. And then when I turned 21, then I could get the name. And then I ended up contacting my birth mom.
0: Wow. So to, to backtrack just a little bit, yeah. you know, because yeah. I'm just thinking about you, you had a, a sibling also correct that you grew up with three older brothers, three older brothers in the same household. How were they responding to the, the changes in the household, in terms of mom starting to drink, dad's having an affair, did the four of you communicate or yeah. were they so much older that. Um, you, they were, they were, were they were older.
1: Yeah. So mom, you know, over at the bar drinking, and then ended up they divorced. So then he was already having a girlfriend, which was fine because they were divorced. And then it, marrying that one woman, the second wife. So then by this time, in of all the changes that were going on, the two older ones were already out of the house, or they actually one lived outside the chicken coop or whatever it was. He he lived on the farm but lived out into a different area. He made the, uh, I don't know if it was was a chicken coop or a place where we put, we put barn animals there, but he made it into an apartment. We live on a farm. We know how to, we know how to make things happen. So he lived there, but everybody was majority of the house, except one of the kids My oh, And the youngest of the brothers, he was already at college.
0: So, So go ahead.
1: So so everyone was out of the house, but my grandmother also lived upstairs, huge farmhouse. So she lived on top, had her own house up there. And what would happen is when my father wasn't at the farm or you know, over at his girlfriend's house, and grandma would take care of me. Or I'd go up by grandma and stay up there.
0: So, so it sounds like you know, you're kind of going through. All these changes in the household alone. Yes, right. I'd be,
1: I'd be, I, I, I basically was a pawn from here to here to here, you know.
0: Yeah. What about dating? I mean, if you grew up on a farm, and you know, I imagine you grew up in a small town. What was dating like for you? You know, in high school, and uh, I mean, were you were you popular? Were you, Zero. Did you Have a crew, a tribe. <laughs>
1: No, just my best friend, basically. I was not popular in high school. People knew who I was, but no, I wasn't the jock. I wasn't the cheerleader. I wasn't any of the, the groups that we, you, you know, you and I would know, the stoners. We are, I wasn't in any group. Plus, I was by high school, middle, you know, by high school, I was junior and senior year. There was this thing called um, marketing education. And what you could do is if you got a job, you could leave at 12 noon, basically every day and go do your job. And I quickly got a job. I couldn't wait to get out of high school. I couldn't stand high school. I still can't. I've never went back to one reunion, nor will I ever. I just, I'm not being callous because some people are like, you should go back and see. And, And those were your childhood years and memories in high school. And I'm like, they didn't give a shit then. Why would they give a shit about me now? You know, and I, I know I say that flippant, but it's it, I'm uh, I'll say it serious. Why should they care? They didn't care then, they don't care now. I they don't. And it's nothing against them. I don't, I don't care. Um, but I, I get either the dress concept of, of about going back to reunions. Um, but no, I I wasn't popular and didn't care about high school. I couldn't wait to get out of it because I couldn't stand the the clicks of it all. You know, you're trying to survive, you know, now it's a whole different ball game of talking about survival. I won't go there. I digress. But survival of mental shit back, you know, when we were kids, trying to fit in and not fitting in, and oh, I was on a good tangent there and I lost it. I could I oh, oh. I ended up at one point in middle school, I saw the breakfast club and I thought it was genius because it showed you the sections of high school and, and where we're all plotted and we're, you know, going against each other. And I'm like, can we just get along everyone? And besides being in these cliques and I thought it was, genius. I go, please. I said, could you make the whole school watch this? It's, it's huge. It's important. It, it, can open up everyone's mind and i guess because it was pg or whatever it was too radical thinking they're like no we're not going to do it and i'm like why to me it would have helped out i think but maybe i was living in a pipe dream i don't
0: know right because that movie showed um people not familiar with it it had um a kid who was he was like the the troublemaker. Right, yep. Geek. Right. Right. That he was a troublemaker and uh and, and then you had the geek and then you had the the popular uh girl who was probably going to be like the prom queen. And mm-hmm. then you had the girl who was quiet and you know just drawing circles Gotth, over and girl. over. The goth girl. Yep. yep. And uh I'm sure there was a fifth one. I don't know. Was it just four? jock
1: oh the
0: jock, right? You jock the, the and the, the wrestler, nerd nerdy right?
1: guy and the nerd guy.
0: And of course, you put all the—they all have detention for mm-hmm. uh, a, a morning or a day—and yep. you put them all in a room unsupervised, like there was not know where the supervisor
1: <laughs> right, right,
0: was. Right. And of course, they are clashing; they're bumping heads, they're getting into arguments and fights and yelling and screaming. And yep. but as the movie unfolds, yes, as they start to discover more of each other's backstory and realizing that
1: everyone is fighting their own fight they yes. got, it, it it was so brilliant and genius that movie because and it, that's where the phrase didn't come from that, but, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. You have no idea. You think this popular girl is, has everything, you know, has the, the, the name labels of every, you know, Gucci, whatever, and, and eats at great restaurants, but you don't know she's struggling a big time. I don't know what she was struggling against. It was good though. Do you remember what she was her struggle? Oh, to be accepted, I think. It was it was awesome. I got to rewatch it again. It was so damn good.
0: <laughs> it, it is. It's just the perfect like Saturday rainy day like I just don't want to leave the house. Like that's that per- perfect afternoon movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So And that's
1: what and that's and that's what I wanted to I'm like, you know, I'm going through my own craziness and I'm just like, look, you know, I could form it into articulate way to explain what's going on in my life you know I everybody you know it was just crazy and I couldn't articulate exactly what or I could maybe tell you how I was feeling at the moment but that movie could that was it I was like that movie that's it that you don't know what's going on behind closed doors and that and I'm going through that I'm going through something crazy which was the alcoholism and, and trying to fit in where I was supposed to go, like go, go to mom, go to dad, go to grandma, and, and just be this pawn. At one point, I went up to my brother up in uh, River Falls, Wisconsin. It was like four hours away or how many hours away it was to live with him for the summer because I'm like, I need to get away. I need to get away from all this because it's nuts. And then came back down and, yeah.
0: So is, is hiking kind of your way of still getting away because it's nuts? Like when it feels too nuts inside your head, you, yep. you, you go on a hike?
1: That and traveling. Definitely. Just to get out of my element and surroundings. It's kind of like, you know, when you're home and you're supposed to do writing and you end up, oh, that needs to be cleaned. Oh, that needs to be vacuumed. And you're like, would you not get off? You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do, which is. You're supposed to write or whatever the case may be, but you find, uh, and, and that's to kind of go inside. It's the hiking. Yeah. You got a trail and you got your brain and your, and your insights to work on. That's it. Maybe dodge a bird or a bee or a rattlesnake, almost stepped on a rattlesnake the other day, by the way. (laughs) Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Summertime.
1: Yeah oh I, it was nuts i'm I'm absolutely shocked, and my friend even is shocked also that I'm here without a bite on my leg but yes and and travel I mean you got to think a little bit of you know where you're going and communicating and but and traveling because then you're you're completely out of your element and
0: house so you mentioned earlier that you know, oh I have to wait until I become an adult to talk to someone and express this who do you end up talking to that really helps you to start to put things in perspective is it a therapist is it a teacher is it a a friend is it a stranger
1: I ended up always talking to my best friend and then I ended up uh, when I moved out to California when I was 20 20 um, 19 or 20, I ended up moving out to California and then I ended up looking into a shrink and then went to him and really dissected things.
0: And what were some of the, the insights and tools that, you know, for, you know, my listeners out there who've grown up in a, in a household where, you know, mom or dad was an alcoholic and they felt like they had to walk on eggshells. What were some of the the tools that you were given, besides hiking, that uh, helps you to uh, navigate or dissipate some of the pain from your childhood?
1: Going to Al-Anon meetings, so then you don't feel like you're you're crazy, you're the one that's the problem. Definitely Al-Anon meetings. I haven't gone to one in a long time because of pandemic and I hate doing crap over zoom it drives me nuts but I don't especially that and performing you can't do stand-up on zooms so I don't care what anybody says but yes I ended up going to Al-Anon meetings and talking to my shrink and my best friend Al-Anon meetings helped a lot because you're like you you end up sharing so much and then you're like oh yeah I'm not so crazy after all because you just you feel like you should have a straight jacket on personally you just eat because you're talking with crazy people or you know, my mother would t- never take responsibility of her actions it's everyone else's fault everyone sounds like one of my brothers but um uh yeah never taking responsibility sucks
0: and what about the spaces in between where there's some um, cognitive reframes, like, first of all, what kind of therapist was it? Was it a, a CBT? Was it a somatic? Was it, you know, what kind of therapist did you have? That's a
1: very Remember? good question. No, I don't. I don't. All I know is I, <laughs> my very, I, I finally found somebody. I don't even know how I found him. And now he's a motivational speaker. He's, he's wonderful. Uh, Elia Goguras. And he it, inspirational person, wonderful. But anyway, I went to him and I remember walking in his office, walking straight to the couch and just crying for 45 minutes. wipe away my tears and I'm like, "Well, I feel great. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. And I got up to leave and he goes, I'll see you next week. I go no no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, nope. I'll see you next week. I go no. I'm I'm good. I'm see. I got it all out. No, I'll see you next week. I'm like okay, and then
0: went to him weekly for years. So tell me about that because I think a lot of people believe that if they cry it out, yeah. they're done. Which you know I I, I had that Makes belief sense. also. It makes sense. And so what did you learn about that? Why, why, you know, you, you thought the same thing. I just cried for 45 minutes. Clearly I got it all out. Is that the case that you really got it all out?
1: Oh, hell no. Are you kidding me? It was the, the, not even the tip of the iceberg. It was just like blowing on the, on the top of the mountain and a little dust goes, you haven't touched nothing yet. It's to understand the things that were happening that Made you think a certain way, you know, and to break it down, you're like, oh, I was on survival mode. I was there just to get through the day, to get to the night, to get to bed, to hopefully not have anybody pound on my door. I still lock my doors to my bedroom. I still, to this day, uh, lock my doors. I'm paranoid that way. I, Yeah. But to understand the the psychology, but it's still, you can know as an adult, but there's still part of you that still won't get it. You're still, I still lock the doors. You know what I'm saying? Once you think if you understood that as an adult, you should not lock your doors anymore. No, I still lock my doors. (laughs) and that's and that's not because I live in a shitty neighborhood I lock my bedroom door and I also and I'll admit this I don't care if anybody laughs at me if there is a closet I will open it and check it before I sleep I don't I still do it to this day any hotel I sleep in I always look in the closet always and I'll keep it open too just so I have visual
0: I do the same thing. Shower oh, curtains. God. I'm peeking.
1: Uh, oh, good. I, did, I thought I was. Well, we know that is true, but I no. I swear to God, I was a little nervous on saying that.
0: But, I feel well, see, good. I actually feel the opposite, though, about the closet door. I need it closed because oh, open no. is creepier to me than closed. And oh, no, any no. door that's ajar is the creepiest. Like I need the door to be either completely shut or all the way open. But if it's just slightly ajar just slightly cracked open that's creepier to me like there's an eye like I'm gonna see an eye poke through there or something
1: yeah yeah no I gotta have it open so I can constantly see no one was in there I'll tell you something when my father passed uh five years ago I made a pact to myself that I And I would, I do this sometimes as I just tap my forehead going, are you here? Do you feel that? And you should give it a, give it a whirl once in a while, ask yourself, are you here and see where you are? Are you present? And I, sometimes I tap my forehead to make sure I'm like, do you feel that? Are you right here? And I, and I'm like, yes. So I, I, for my father's death, I was trying to be, and I think I successfully did it where I stayed present. I wasn't thinking into the future. I wasn't thinking about the past. I was right there. And I, I remember going in and they wanted someone to look at him before showing before they show him had a Memorial where the open casket, just always baffling to me. But anyway, and they had to have somebody look at him and I volunteered to do it. I'm like, I want to be present. I don't want, oh, I don't want to look and, oh, it's too much. I just, I had to be present. So I went there and I looked at him and, and I, uh, I said, do not put makeup on him. Like a lot. I said, don't, don't do that. I said, his third wife that passed looked like an Oompa Loompa. Not that I gave you shit what she looked like. Cause I couldn't stand her. I'll go on record for saying that too. Uh, And I said, not that I cared that she looked that way. I said, but my father will not look like an Oompa Loompa. I said, so do not put rouge on him. Do not make him look like he's alive. He's dead. So you don't have to make him look so alive. Maybe, you know, a little more skin tone, but whatever. I said, but don't put heavy makeup on him. We know he's gone. They said, Okay, Miss Lang. Okay. I just had to be adamant about it because it just drove me nuts. And they go, would you like his glasses on when he in in the casket? And I go, no, he doesn't need them. He's sleeping now. And it was just, it was almost like a comedy act. And no, this isn't in the act, but maybe it should be. But I was like, no, just put him in his pocket. He'll use him later. It just, I guess you have to, you, I mean, I guess being a funeral person, you have to ask these questions because people are wacko and they're crazy. So, but I'm, I tried to be level-headed about this, but I, the point I'm trying to make is that I remember specifically they were drawing a curtain when it was time to close the casket so he could, we could take him to the burial site. And I specifically got up and I went behind the curtain to watch them what they were doing. Not that I thought my father was alive, but I just wanted to make sure you have to have closure. You have to see everything. So I watched them close it and make sure he still was in there. And I'm like, okay, we can go to the cemetery now. And I don't regret it. I'm glad I did. But it was, to me, that was closure to see everything. And I don't know psychology-wise what it is, but I, I had to.
0: Well, I mean, you got the literal closure, right? To see the closing of the casket, right? It's mm-hmm. where we're done and, uh, or trans done is not even not the word, but transition. Yes, yeah. transitioning into the next phase of our lives and, and our relationship. And, and, you know, I know at the top of the podcast, you talked about how, you know, you'll never get to talk to your father again. But I'm sure in his passing since then, you've had a million conversations with your father. You, as you know, you having his voice still in your head and he lives on that way. And uh, and I would assume that there are sensory experiences that you've had where there's a sight, smell, taste, sound, or location that yeah. triggers a, a memory of him. Or, or you're like, you know, my dad really would have loved being here or seeing this or, or touching or smelling that, you
1: know? Yep. Anytime I hear polka music, I immediately think of my father. (laughs) Um, When I see someone drinking a whiskey old fashioned, I think of my father, he wasn't a big drinker, but on occasion and during card club playing sheep said they would get together all the farmers and they would, you know, Go from each person's house like every Saturday, and they would play and yell and and during the game. I would always remember, you're God damn it! What are you playing those queens for? You should have been playing this or that. Just, I'll never forget those moments as a kid because they would they would play late into the night, and I remember being in my pajamas and being in the hallway listening and watching and. And then at a certain point, they would have, you know, time to eat and take a snack break. And they would bring out the cheese and the sausage and the crackers. Oh, God, I miss those days. The the simplicity of it. Now it's a big shit show. (laughs) Try not to be negative, but it's so hard not to be. Uh, You know what? I have a hard time. I'm just a little off to the side because it's been bothering me. I have a hard time where i have friends and they believe a certain way and i'm just baffled they believe a certain way i'm i'm shocked and i'm i can't believe it and i have a hard time accepting that that they have different beliefs i i am i'm am, Maybe it's because right now I'm going through a certain thing with my brother. I have an older brother and he just, you know, found Jesus. And I didn't know he was lost in the first place, but he found Jesus and I haven't talked to him in three years. You know, when you're a heathen and you don't believe what other people believe, you're an awful person. Very Jesus like, isn't it? Uh, So he stopped drinking and, um, He Now he's turned into a person that is a religious person to the umph degree, like cuckoo kind. And um, that's sad to me because you gave up another form of addiction to now another one. And because I don't believe you don't talk to me. Yeah, I know we should have him on here too so he can give his side of the story. But I'm telling you my side of the story
0: just sucks. It it does suck. And it is sad that, you know, he couldn't find Jesus and still maintain your relationship.
2: Yeah. It just sucks. I don't talk to all three
1: brothers, basically. I don't talk to my older brother because uh, of that situation of the religious religion. Middle brother I haven't talked to really since my father's passing because nothing is ever his fault uh, and many other reasons. And then the youngest one I recently don't talk to because he said some mean things to me. And uh, I finally put my foot down going, you know what? I'm not going to get over it. Uh, The consequences is I'm not going to talk to you. You made your bed. You can lie in it. And that was, you know, I knew you can thank for that. My father, because he gave me that kind of attitude where it's just like, you know, I said some unforgivable things and it just sucks. You know. The last the last message my brother gave to me was um, goodbye. That's all I have to say is goodbye. And when mom dies, don't come home. Cool. You just gave me an out for not coming home for uh, the funeral, and number two, that was kind of mean to say. I'll be yeah. So just, there's the
0: there's the the pain and loss of you know your dog a few years ago, mm-hmm. and then your parents, and yep. now it feels like you're losing your siblings also, and. Yes. For various reasons and so i would even imagine with your friends having alternative views uh, on certain topics it feels like you might be losing your friends also so it's like the world's getting smaller
1: yeah and it doesn't help either you're in a pandemic and you have to be cooped up you know or if you do, I mean, does, do you want to go into big crowds? I don't want to go into big crowds. I don't need to go to a concert and be around a bunch of people. I mean, I've I've already had friends that caught COVID and they mask up and they were on a plane. And it's like, I don't want to be around any people because I don't want to. I already caught it already, but I don't want to get it again. I just... Yeah, it's just with this all going on with family and then all of a sudden the pandemic and it's just making your world smaller and smaller and smaller.
2: It's awful. I think.
1: Like I said, like we discussed, you know, during the first time. I'm not suicidal, but it's just this is so sometimes overrated. It really is. I just, I don't, it's like, I've, I'm here, I'm experiencing life, you know, and I believe that I'm going to go on to a different realm as a different energy. I'm not, I'm spiritual. I'm not, I'm agnostic. I'm not atheist. I'm agnostic. I think there's a higher something going on. I don't know what. Um, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I find that cute. i And for people that believe in it, that's great. You do, you do you, boo. I just, I can't, I can't go there. Um, So I believe that I'm here to experience this realm, this energy as being a human. And then I'm going to go off and become a different energy. And this is overrated. (laughs) It's just so. It's so overrated. I'm done.
2: Done. Just. There's a lot of, you know what really sucks is that there's a lot of, a lot of sadness. And no one ever prepped you for
1: life as a kid. And my prepping was really not, (laughs) my prepping was very skewed. And I I don't want to use the the phrase, but you know the phrase, a life is a bowl of cherries. Whoever invented that should be shot. I guess you can't say that anymore. Should be slapped. Because it's not, it isn't.
2: They don't give you the tools to, Look
1: within, have, make sure you find friends you can talk to so you don't lose your shit and you can lose your shit with your friends and they'll still love you and accept you for who you are. You know, and I see that on on the internet a lot where people talk about life is hard. It is Oh, what you whining about? you pull yourself up by your bootstraps? And and yeah, that's me partly where I'm like, yeah, come on. But then it isn't easy. It is not easy at all.
2: There should be some more compassion, I guess, in life. And there isn't. A lot of judgment. I judge, I'll admit it. Try not to, definitely try not to <sighs> I got nothing
0: <laughs> Lang, I really appreciate you taking this time to share your journey and
1: i wish i I wish I could say something. You know, encouraging or, or uh, mind-boggling or not mind-boggling, but it's just something that's, you know, memorable. But in
2: the in the positive sense, I don't. I, I don't.
0: What got you out of bed this morning?
2: A job. <laughs> to put a roof over my head
1: i need a dog in my life i really need a dog <laughs> i need a dog god they're amazing the unconditional love that's some good stuff there is i want to ask out there i mean, you, you know sometimes the reason why i do stand up i haven't done it recently because of just the circumstance that we're all in and traveling. I don't know how any comic right now can drive anywhere because gas is five, $6 a gallon, you know? Um, What I love is that I can, when I bring up these topics about being adopted and, and or being brought up in a alcoholic family that I have people that come up to me after the show and go, I get it. I've been there. I've felt it.
2: And that gives me, I don't want to say hope
1: <laughs> because that's not the word, but it gives me something to keep going forward.
0: What, what do you feel when, when you hear that from them? What, what's the, what do you feel in your body? What's the emotion or sensation?
2: I feel lighter.
1: I feel like, oh, uh, you can relate. It's someone that can relate to me and I can relate to them. And we, sh- we swap stories. That's, that's what's great is that, oh, I'm not the only one. Kind of like when I went to first, my first Al-Anon meeting. Oh, I'm not, the, I'm not crazy after all. And seeing all these different personalities come out of, you know, my mom. It's like, oh, alcoholism it it brings out different personalities and you're and you finally go oh okay
2: I'm not crazy I'm not losing my mind
1: all you can do is work on yourself so you can understand what's going on and you can navigate that way you can't worry about what other people are going to be doing or doing that's a huge lesson for me also
0: I remember last time we talked to you, there was something about the movie, The Greatest Salesman that you connected with. What was that?
1: That I got to reread it because it was that damn good. Now I'm reading Eckhart Tolle. Oh yeah. This is a good one too. Um, I am. It was about knowing that. Do you realize how special you are down to the cellular level
2: of just that who you are
1: is so special that that one, that one sperm that ended up hitting the egg and there and then grew and then your circumstance and your just on a cellular level that you're, you're special. And
2: to grasp that and go, yeah.
1: I am. And I am unique. There is no one like me at all. So grab that and go, yeah, you're unique down to your fingerprint. No one has your fingerprint. And going, yeah, and that trying to get that in your head and go, yes, keep going forward. This is all what you're going to have. And you
2: are unique who you are.
1: I wish I could give you a better answer than that but it's a great
0: book. That was enough. And you are enough, Lang Parker. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Last question. I ask this of all my guests because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Lang? You know, it's funny because
1: you... You'd asked me this before, and every time you ask me, I get emotional, and it's the same answer. There is the birth date that you're born with, and then there's a dash, and the date that you die. Make sure that dash is there, and you live it, and you experience as much as you can in this lifetime. Keep going and live, I don't want to say through that dash, (laughs) but that dash is crucial.
0: Thank you so much, Lang. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALKS or any of the other international phone numbers that are listed in the show notes. Uh, if it's a little sketchy for you to get help in your country because it's communist or, or the people are looking out for you, you can always use Bitcoin to kind of get around that, to, to, to go untraceable. I, uh, I should just do an episode on that. Yeah. But, uh, but there are online chat groups, and uh, you can text, you can talk, you can email people. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Lane.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.